0: titled Book 12 of the Odyssey, Sirens, Monsters, and Cattle. Oh, my. Odysseus and his crew continue to encounter more obstacles on their journey home. They have just sailed back from Hades, where they have been given their directions from the prophet Theban Tiresias, and they've been told, first and foremost, do not eat the cattle of Hyperion, the sun god. Well, as you can imagine, they're going to face these these cattle later, but first they're going to meet some enchanting sirens, and they have to get by a couple of really horrible monsters called Scylla and Charybdis. So continue to ask yourself, is Odysseus a good captain and leader as he is leading his crew through all of these obstacles on their way home? And notice how Eurylochus continues to defy Odysseus and ask yourself, why does Eurylochus have such power over the crew when Odysseus is supposed to be their true leader?
1: Book 12 of the Odyssey. Our ship left the river ocean and came to the swell of the open sea and the island of Eea where dawn has her dancing grounds and the sun his risings. We beached our ship on the sand, disembarked, and fell asleep on the shore, waiting for daybreak. Light blossomed like roses in the eastern sky, and I sent some men to the house of Circe to bring back the body of Alpinor. We cut wood quickly, and on the headlands point we held a funeral, shedding warm tears. When the body was burned and the armor with it, we heaped up a mound, dragged a stone onto it, and on the tomb's very top we planted his oar. While we were busy with these things, Circe, aware that we had come back from the underworld, put on her finest clothes and came to see us. Her serving women brought meat, bread, and bright red wine, and the goddess shone with light as she spoke.
0: So you went down alive to Hades' house. Most men die only once, but you twice. Come, though, eat and drink wine the whole day through. You sail at dawn. I will tell you everything on your route so that you will not come to grief in some web of evil on land or sea.
1: She spoke, and our proud hearts consented. All day long, until the sun went down, we sat feasting on meat and good red wine. When the sun set and darkness came on, my men went to sleep beside the ship's stern cables. But Circe took me by the hand and had me sit away from my men. And she lay down beside me and asked me about everything. I told her all, just as it happened. And then the goddess
0: spoke. So, all that is done. But now listen to what I will tell you. One day a god will remind you of it. First, you will come to the sirens who bewitch all men who come near. Anyone who approaches unaware and hears their voice will never again be welcomed home by wife and children, dancing with joy at his return, not after the sirens bewitch him with song. They loll in a meadow, and around them are piled the bones of shriveled and moldering bodies. Row past them, first needing sweet wax and smearing it into the ears of your crew so they cannot hear, but... If you yourself have a mind to listen, have them bind you hand and foot upright in the mast steep and tie the ends of the rope to the mast. Then you can enjoy the song of the sirens. If you command your crew and plead with them to release you, they should tie you up tighter. After your men have rowed past the sirens, I will not prescribe which of two ways to go. You yourself must decide. I will tell you both. One route takes you past beetling crags pounded by blue-eyed amphitrite seas. The blessed gods call these the wandering rocks. Not even birds can wing their way through. Even the doves that bring ambrosia to Zeus crash and perish on that slick stone, and the father has to replenish their numbers. Ships never get through. Whenever one tries, the sea is awash with timbers and bodies blasted by the waves and the fiery winds. Only one ship has ever passed through, the famous Argo, as she sailed from, a- to, from Aedes, and even she would have been hurled onto those crags had not Hera loved Jason and sent his ship through. On the other route, there are two rocks. One stabs its peak into the sky and is ringed by a dark blue cloud. This cloud never melts, and the air is never clear during summer or autumn. No mortal man could ever scale this rock, not even if he had twenty hands and feet. The stone is as smooth as if it were polished. Halfway up the cliff is a misty cave facing the western gloom. It is there you will sail your hollow ship if if you listen to me, glorious Odysseus. The strongest archer could not shoot an arrow up from his ship all the way to the cave, which is the lair of Scylla. She barks and yelps like a young puppy, but she is a monster, an evil monster that not even a god would be glad to see. She has... Listen to this. Twelve gangly legs and six very long necks, and on each neck is perched a blood-curdling head, each with three rows of close-set teeth full of black death. Up to her middle she is concealed in the cave, but her heads dangle into the abyss, and she fishes by the rock for dolphins and seals and other large creatures that the moaning sea breeds in multitudes. No crew can boast to have sailed past Scylla unscathed. With each head, she carries off a man, snatching him out of his dark, proud vessel. The other rock, as you will see Odysseus, lies lower. The two are close enough that you could shoot an arrow across. And on this rock is a large leafy fig tree. Beneath this tree, the divine Charybdis sucks down the black water. Three times a day, she belches it out, and three times a day, she sucks it down horribly. "'Don't be there when she sucks it down. "'No one could save you, not even Poseidon, who makes the earth tremble. "'No, stay close to Scylla's rock and push hard. "'Better to mourn Six than the whole crew at once.' "'Thus Circe, and I in a panic.
1: "'I beg you, goddess, tell me, "'is there any way I can escape from Charybdis "'and still protect my men from the
0: other?' "'And the goddess in a nimbus of light. "'There you go again, always the hero.' Won't you yield even to the immortals? She's not mortal. She's an immortal, evil, dread, dire, ferocious, unfightable. There is no defense. It's flight, not fight. If you pause so much as to put on a helmet, she'll attack again with just as many heads and kill just as many men as before. Just row past as hard as you can and call upon Cretaeus, the mother who bore her as a plague to men. She will stop her from attacking a second time then you will come to thrinacia an island that pastures the cattle of the sun seven herds of cattle and seven flocks of sheep 50 in each they are immortal they bear no young and they never die off and their shepherds are goddesses nymphs with gorgeous hair pethusia and lampetae whom gleaming nearea bore to helios hyperion the sun When she had borne them and reared them, she sent them to Threnatia to live far away and keep their father's spiral-horned cattle. If you leave these unharmed and keep your mind on your journey, you might yet struggle home to Ithaca. But if you harm them, I foretell disaster for your ship and crew, and even if you escape yourself, you shall come home late and badly, having lost all your companions. We've just heard Circe's warnings to Odysseus about the obstacles that lie ahead of him. As we move forward in the poem, notice what part of this information Odysseus chooses to share with his crew and what information he holds back, and ask yourself whether you would have done the same thing in his situation or not. Also think about how him holding back information has any effect on his crew's trust for him.
1: Dawn rose in gold as she finished speaking, and light played about her as she disappeared up the island. I went to the ship and got my men going. They loosened the stern cables and were soon in their benches, beating the water white with their oars. A following wind rose in the wake of our dark, proud ship, a sailor's breeze sent by Circe, that dread, beautiful goddess. We tied down the tackling and sat tight, letting the wind and the helmsman take over. Then I made a heavy-hearted speech to my men. Friends... It is not right that one or two alone should know what the goddess Circe foretold. Better we should all know, live or die. We shall still beat death and get out of this alive. First, she told us to avoid the eerie voices of the sirens and sail past their soft meadows. She ordered me alone to listen. Bind me hand and foot upright in the mast steep and tie the ends of the rope to the mast. If I command you and plead with you to release me, just tie me up tighter. Those were my instructions to the crew. Meanwhile, our good ship was closing fast on the Siren's Island. When the breeze we'd had tailed off and we were becalmed, not a breath of wind left. Some spirit lulled the waves. My men got up and furled the sails, stowed them in the ship's hold, then sat down at their oars and whitened the water with pine. Myself, I got out a wheel of wax, cut it up with my sharp knife, and kneaded the pieces until they were soft and warm, a quick job with Lord Helios glaring down from above when I went down the rows and smeared the wax into all my men's ears. They in turn bound me hand and foot upright to the mast, tied the ends of the rope to the mast, and then sat down and beat the sea white with their oars. We were about as far away as a shout could would carry, surging ahead when the sirens saw our ship looming closer and their song pierced the air.
0: Come hither, Odysseus, glory of the Achaeans. Stop your ship so you can hear our voices. No one has ever sailed his black ship past here without listening to the honeyed sound from our lips. He journeys on delighted and knows more than before, for we know everything that the Greeks and Trojans suffered in wide Troy. By the will of the gods, we know all that happens on the teeming earth.
1: They made their beautiful voices carry, and my heart yearned to listen. I ordered my men to untie me, signaling with my brows, but they just leaned on their oars and rowed on. Paramedes and Eurylochus jumped up, looped more rope around me, and pulled tight. When we had rowed past and the siren song had faded on the waves, only then did my crew take the wax from their ears and untie me. We had no sooner left the island when I saw the spray from an an enormous wave and heard its booming. The oars flew from my men's frightened hands and shirred in the waves, stopping the ship dead in the water. I went down the rows and tried to boost the crew's morale. Come on, men, this isn't the first time we've run into trouble. This can't be worse than when the Cyclops with his brute strength had us penned in his cave. We got out by my courage and fast thinking. One day we'll look back on this. Now let's do as I say. Every man of you... "'Stay on your benches and beat the deep surf with your oars. "'Zeus may yet deliver us from death. "'Helmsman, here's my command to you, "'and make sure you remember it since you're steering this vessel. "'Keep the ship away from this heavy surf. "'Hug the cliff, or before you know it, "'she'll swerve to starboard and you'll send us all down.' "'I spoke. They obeyed. "'But I didn't mention Scylla. "'There was nothing we could do about that. "'And I didn't want the crew to freeze up, "'stop rowing, and huddle together in the hold.' Then I forgot Circe's stern warning not to arm myself, no matter what happened. I strapped on my bronze, grabbed two long spears, and went to the foredeck, where I thought Scylla would first show herself from the cliff. But I couldn't see her anywhere, and my eyes grew weary, scanning the misty rock face. We sailed on up the narrow channel, wailing, Scylla on one side, Charybdis on the other, sucking down salt water. When she belched it up, she seethed and bubbled like a boiling cauldron, and the spray would reach the tops of the cliffs. When she sucked it down, you could see her churning within, and the rock bellowed and roared, and you could see the sea floor black with sand. My men were pale with fear. While we looked at her, staring death in the eyes, Scylla seized six of my men from our ship, the six strongest hands aboard. Turning my eyes to the deck and my crew, I saw above me their hands and feet as they were raised aloft. They cried down to me, calling me by name that one last time in their agony. You know how a fisherman on a jutting rock casts his bait with his long pole? The horned hook sinks into the sea, and when he catches a fish, he pulls it writhing and squirming out of the water. Writhing like that, my men were drawn up the cliff, and Scylla devoured them at her door as they shrieked and stretched their hands down to me in their awful struggle. Of all the things that I have borne while I scoured the seas, I have seen nothing more pitiable." When we had fled Charybdis, the rocks, and Scylla, we came to the perfect island of Iperion the Sun, where his herds ranged and his flocks browsed. While our black ship was still out at sea, I could hear the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle as they were being penned. And I remembered the words of the blind seer, Theban Tiresias, and of Circe, who gave me strict warnings to shun the island of the warmth-giving sun. And so I spoke to my crew with heavy heart. Hear my words, men, for all your pain. So I can tell you Tiresias's prophecies and Circe's too, who gave me strict warnings to shun the island of the warmth-giving sun. For there, she said, was our gravest peril. No, row our black ship clear of this island. This broke their spirits, and at once Eurylochus answered me spitefully.
2: You're a hard man, Odysseus, stronger than other men, and you never wear out a real iron man who won't allow his crew, dead tired from rowing and lack of sleep, to set foot on shore where we might make a meal we could enjoy. No, you just order us to wander on through the swift darkness over the misty deep and be driven away from the island. It is at night that winds rise that wreck ships. How could we survive if we were hit by a south wind or a west? which sinks ships, no matter what the gods want. No, let's give in to Black right now and make our supper. We'll stay by the ship, board her in the morning, and put out to sea.
1: Thus Eurylochus, and the others agreed. I knew then that some god had it in for us, and my words had wings. Eurylochus, it's all of you against me alone. All right, but swear me a great oath every last man, If we find any cattle or sheep on this island, no man will kill a single cow or sheep in his recklessness, but will be content to eat the food immortal Circe gave us. They swore they would do just as I said, and when they had finished the words of the oath, we moored our ship in a hollow harbor near a sweet water spring. The crew disembarked and skillfully prepared their supper. When they had their fill of food and drink, they fell to weeping, remembering how Scyllid snatched their shipmates and devoured them. Sweet sleep came upon them as they wept. Past midnight, when the stars had wheeled around, Zeus gathered the clouds and roused a great wind against us, an ungodly tempest that shrouded land and sea and blotted out the night. At the first blush of dawn, we hauled our ship up and made her fast in a cave where you could see the nymph's beautiful seats and dancing places. Then I called my men together and spoke to them. Friends, there is food and drink in the ship. Let's play it safe and keep our hands off those cattle which belong to Helios, a dread god who hears and sees all. So I spoke, and their proud hearts consented. Then, for a full month, the south wind blew, and no other wind but the east and the south. As long as my men had grain and red wine, they didn't touch the cattle. Life was still worth living. But when all the rations from the ship were gone, they had to roam around in search of game, hunting for birds and whatever they could catch with fishing hooks hunger gnawed at their bellies. I went off by myself up the island to pray to the gods to show me the way. When I had put some distance between myself and the crew and found a spot sheltered from the wind, I washed my hands and prayed to the gods, but all they did was close my eyelids and sleep. Meanwhile, Eurylochus was giving bad advice to the crew.
2: Listen to me, shipmates, despite your distress. All form of death are hateful, but to die of hunger is most wretched way to go what are we waiting for let's drive off the prime beef in that herd and offer sacrifice to the gods of broad heaven if we ever return to Ithaca we will build a rich temple to Hyperion the sun and deposit there many fine treasures if he becomes angry over his cattle and gets other gods consent to destroy our ship? Well, I would rather gulp down salt water and die once and for all than waste away slowly on a desert island.
1: Thus Eurylochus and the others agreed. In no time they had driven off the best of Helios's cattle, pretty spiral-horned cows that were grazing close to our dark-proud ship. They surrounded these cows and offered prayers to the gods, plucking off tender leaves from a high-crowned oak in lieu of white barley, of which there was none aboard our benched ship. They said their prayers, cut the cows' throats, flayed the animals, and carved out the thigh joints, wrapped these in a double layer of fat, and laid all the raw bits upon them. They had no wine to pour over the sacrifice, and so used water as they roasted the entrails. When the thighs were burned and the innards tasted, they carved up the rest and skewered it on spits. Eurylochus
0: has just convinced Odysseus's crew to ignore his warnings and they've decided that they're going to eat Helios's cattle so i'm wondering why is it that Eurylochus has such a hold over the crew and how is it that he's able to turn the crew against Odysseus who is supposed to be a strong and capable leader also Why does Eurylochus claim that dying of hunger is the most wretched way to die? Why is this such a horrible thought for Eurylochus and the rest of the crew enough for them to risk the wrath of the gods?
1: That's when I awoke bolting upright. I started down to the shore, and as I got near the ship, the aroma of sizzling fat drifted up to me. I groaned and cried out to the undying gods. Father Zeus and you other immortals! You lulled me to sleep and to my ruin while my men committed this monstrous crime! Lampetii rushed in her long robes to Helios and told him that we had killed his cattle. Furious, the sun god addressed the immortals. Father Zeus and you other gods eternal! Punish Odysseus's companions, who have insolently killed the cattle I took delight in seeing whenever I ascended the starry heaven, and whenever I turned back from heaven to earth. If they don't pay just atonement for the cows, I will sink into Hades and shine on the dead. And Zeus, who masses the clouds, said, Helios, you go on shining among the gods, and for mortal men on the grain-giving earth. I will soon strike their ship with sterling lightning and shatter it to bits on the wine-purple sea. All this I heard from rich-haired Calypso, who said she heard it from Hermes the guide. When I reached the ship, I chewed out my men, giving each one an earful. But there was nothing we could do. The cattle were already dead. Then the gods showed some portents, directed at my men. The hides crawled, and the meat, both roasted and raw, mooed on the spits like cattle lowing. Each day, for six days, my men slaughtered oxen from Helios' herd and gorged on the meat. But when Zeus brought the seventh day, the wind tailed off from gale force. We boarded ship at once and put out to sea as soon as we had rigged the mast and sail. When we left the island behind, there was no other land in sight, only sea and sky. Then Zeus put a black cloud over our ship and the sea grew dark beneath it. She ran on a little while, and then the howling west wind blew in with hurricane force. It snapped both four stays, and the mast fell backward into the bilge with all its tackle. On its way down, the mast struck the helmsman and crushed his skull. He fell from the stern like a diver, and his proud soul left his bones. In the same instant, Zeus thundered and struck the ship with a lightning bolt. She shivered from stem to stern and was filled with sulfurous smoke. My men went overboard, bobbing in the waves like sea crows around the black ship, their day of return snuffed out by the sun god. I kept pacing the deck until the sea surge tore the sides from the keel. The waves drove the bare keel on and snapped the mast from its socket. The leather backstay was still attached, and I used this to lash the keel to the mast. Perched on these timbers, I was swept along by deathly winds. Then the west wind died down, and to my horror, the south wind rose. All that way, back to the whirlpool, I was swept along the whole night, through, and at dawn reached Scylla's cliff and dread Charybdis. She was sucking down seawater, and I leapt up to the tall fig tree, grabbed hold of it, and hung on like a bat. I could not plant my feet or get myself set on the tree, because its roots spread far below, and its branches were high overhead, long, thick limbs that shaded Charybdis. I just grit my teeth and hung on until she spat out the mast and keel again. It seemed like forever. Finally, about the hour, a man who has spent the day judging quarrels that young men bring to him rises from the marketplace and goes to dinner. My ship's timbers surfaced again from Charybdis. I let go with my hands and feet and hit the water hard beyond the spars. Once aboard, I rowed away with my hands. As for Scylla, Zeus never let me her see me or I would have been wiped out completely. I floated on for nine days. On the tenth night, The gods brought me to Ogydia and to Calypso, the dread, beautiful goddess who loved me and took care of me. But I have told that tale only yesterday here in your hall to yourself and your wife, and I wouldn't bore you by telling it again.